0: You fail. Who likes to hear that? Who gets very challenged by those words if they apply to you and something you have not been able to do and something you've tried really hard to do? You've taken it seriously. You're planned. You're prepared. You've given it your best shot. You've busted yourself to try and do it and you fail. It's very distressing, very challenging, very hard to take, isn't it? But we say it every week in church. You've said it today. You've confessed your sin. You've said you've failed. And I've said too, I've failed to meet God's standard. I've failed to live as I ought to, even though I've tried and tried and tried. And I'm sure you've tried too. I'm sure we're giving it our best shot. I'm sure, and, I, and I know about you, but when I fail, I really grieve it. i like, oh, I hate this. I hate failing. I want, to be, I want to do what God wants me to do. I don't want to fail. But the really good stuff is that God forgives. And with that forgiveness comes freeing of guilt and a whole new life's opened up each time over and over and over again. And we're going to look at that today. In the calling of Levi, chapter 2 and verse 13, Jesus is walking beside the lake. It seems to be a popular spot where people come. The lake is where everything's happening around the lake. The fishing, the people living, uh, it's all going on around the lake. And he's beside the lake, a large crowd came to him. And what did he do? The large crowd comes. Does he do healing? Does he do miracles? No, he begins to teach them. We've looked previously, that's why he came. He didn't come just to do miracles, he came to teach. The miracles show that he is more than just a teacher, he's God. And we'll keep looking at that. And so... He begins to teach. And in verse 14, as he walked around the lake, he was teaching them. And as he walked around the lake, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. What there was was a major international road that ran from uh, Damascus and Syria down through around Lake Galilee, across and then all the way down to Egypt was a major trading route and this major trading route couldn't go across the water actually had to go around the lake and had to go right around where this tax collector's booth was now Levi was a a tax collector Uh, he was someone who the Romans had controlled the country the Romans wanted to get money because it cost money to have an occupying army but also send money back to Rome that's why they defeat nations to get richer they've got to build the Colosseum and all those things back in Rome so they actually have these uh, tolbers and they pick most strategic, strategic spots where they could collect money and they collect money from people who had goods and they tax them for the goods or they take some of the goods as tax. Um, it's a bit like who pays GST? Put up your hand if you don't pay GST. The tax man probably like to talk to you. Uh, we pay GST on goods, don't we? We don't even see it, it just gets charged to us. Well, this was a bit like GST in those days. Um, they were charging the people who had the goods at the initial point and they were taxing them. And what the Romans would do, they would say there's a specific tax you have to charge. They have all these different rates for different things. And so the tax collector would collect the Roman tax. He would have Roman soldiers there to make sure that people paid. If people didn't pay, they get locked up, they confiscate their goods. You had no choice. And um, not only that, the tax collectors would add a bit of their own for their own commission, which the Romans let them do. And that commission could vary. There was no set rate. And what it meant was that they uh, had the power to make a big commission, make a lot of money from their job. Do you think the people liked them? You know, if uh, someone from uh, Richmond um, was to go and set up a toll booth on the Norther Bridge and charge everyone coming over the bridge a toll, do you think the people over Norther would like that? I don't think they'd like it, would they? No, there'd be trouble. There'd be big trouble there. They'd have to call the police out. There'd be big trouble. Um, But that's what it was like here. And people couldn't avoid it. And they had the government on their side. And so Levi was hated. He was seen as a traitor. He was despised. People would have nothing to do with him. He couldn't go in the synagogue. He couldn't uh, be a witness. He lost all his rights as a Jew. Yeah, he was he was he was bad really bad ugly and jesus goes to this man that everyone knows everyone knows how much of a scumbag he is how horrible he is and what does jesus do when he goes to him he says follow me Now, Levi must have heard about Jesus. Jesus has been around for a while. He's been in this region. He's been doing great miracles. The word would have quickly spread about Jesus doing miracles. Uh, The word would have spread about his teaching too. He knew who Jesus was. The old fashioned grapevine, they call it in country areas. People talking, word of mouth. And Jesus says to him, follow me. No introduction. No, you know, come and be my disciple. We're going to go for three years. This is what we're going to do. Here's the itinerary. Here's the plan. Come. No, just follow me. It was an instant and total request response required. And it suddenly means a lot to Levi because Levi knows how much he's hated and despised. He knows the anger of all the people around him. People have nothing to do with him. You know, if they come down the road, they'd walk around the other way. They wouldn't go anywhere near him. They'd avoid him at all costs. They wouldn't even recognise him. He was so hated. And yet Jesus said, follow me. Jesus is offering the hand of what Levi would suddenly see as friendship. And friendship requires acceptance. And he's offering the hand of friendship and acceptance to Levi, who's isolated and alone. And he gets up straight away and responds to Jesus. He wants to be friends with Jesus. He wants to make a change. He leaves his way of living. He leaves his toll He leaves his authority. He leaves everything there and goes to follow Jesus. His response is the same as the fisherman earlier in the chapter. Leaving everything and immediately going and following Jesus and now letting Jesus be the focus and the director of their life completely. What happens then? In verse fifteen: While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with them, and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. He goes to have dinner at Levi's house. What's going on? Levi invites tax collectors and sinners. Levi invites his his old friends, the workmates. Hey, come and meet Jesus. He's accepted me. He's offered to be my friend. He's asked me to follow him. He's changing my life. Come and meet this wonderful Jesus. He doesn't despise us and hate us and ridicule us. He offers us a fresh start. Come and meet Jesus. Levi's having a Jesus party, he's inviting all his friends to come and meet Jesus. He's excited enthusiastic about this man who's offered him friendship. And more than a man, he knows he's he's a great teacher. He knows he's a miracle worker. And he's having in his mind, is this God or someone sent from God? And he's been offered friendship. And he's responding by inviting all his other associates to meet Jesus. Now, tax collectors, we know who they are. Uh, But it's just sinners, and sinners really, was anyone publicly known as a corrupt person? Someone doing repeatedly bad things, really bad things. It could be the tax collectors, but also people doing adultery. Uh, people who were robbers or thieves or doing other things like that. And they were people who society just you know, didn't wanting to do with. So the outcasts of society are all having a meal with Jesus. And Jesus is offering the friendship to all of them who eat with him. But he's calling for them to respond and make a change to their life. Verse 16, while this is going on, there's teachers of the law there. They're always there. They're always checking out Jesus, looking at his teaching. They're they're making uh, judgments on him. What do they say? Verse 16, when teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, These Pharisees. Uh, they're a Jewish religious group um, they 're very um, powerful uh, they base their authority on the oral tradition you have the the Torah, the written word of God, uh, the first six books of the bible uh, they, Moses wrote they have that, but to that they 've added the oral tradition that 's all the stuff that their their commentators have said. The great ones of the past, their leaders have all added stuff to that. And in fact, they've added stuff like, you know, all the laws, what you do on the Sabbath, well, how that's going to be and what you can and can't do. They've made a whole stack of laws about that. And in the end, the teaching of the Old Testament, what Moses wrote down, God said, it's put in the background and their oral laws are in the foreground as the ones you keep, the ones you focus on. The trouble with these oral laws, they're all about earning your way to heaven by doing the right thing and being good. And they think that somehow they can be good enough to get heaven. They're really zealous. They're in a, they're in a strong and movable position. They're right. Anyone who disagrees with them is a heretic. They're not open to any discussion. They know what's true. They're the social commentators of the day. Uh, they sort of tell people what they can and can't do. And then the social police too. They'll take action if you do the wrong thing. In the end, they'll bring Jesus uh, in Jerusalem, won't they? They'll bring him before the ruling council and take him to Pilate and get him condemned to death. The social commentators and social police. And this zeal that we see in them, this blinded fanaticism that we see in them, we'll see three years later in someone named Saul. Saul was a Pharisee. His name later changed to Paul. But Paul was a Pharisee uh, when Jesus... Um, rose from dead after dying on the cross and people responded to him in Jerusalem and many, many people responding to Jesus, Uh, Paul was uh, leading the way in opposing Christians. When Stephen was stoned, it says that Paul was there, uh, they laid their clothes at Paul's feet. It was almost though Paul was organising the stoning. Because later on it says Paul then led the Jewish uh, leaders and people going from house to house through Jerusalem to find Christians. If they found Christians, they got imprisoned and tortured. House to house. Jerusalem was a big place. They were going thoroughly through Jerusalem, so there was nowhere for a Christian to hide. Paul's stated intention was to remove the name of Jesus Christ from history. He was so effective that the Christians who didn't get locked up, fled to the north, fled to Galilee, fled to where Jesus is now here. But he he couldn't be content with that. He got letters of authority and soldiers and chased them. And so they had to then flee beyond Galilee and follow the international road over into Syria and Damascus and he kept following them into another country. He was never going to let up. He was going to follow them to the ends of the earth until Jesus appeared to him three miles from Damascus in Syria. Saul, who hated Jesus with a zeal, turned around and loved Jesus in the same way. Became a committed follower of Jesus, had his name changed to Paul. And so that's the the Pharisees we're seeing here. Uh, They're effective, they're powerful, they're just going for it. And that's the group that are opposing Jesus right now. The group will ultimately lead to his death. Jesus knows what they're thinking. So he says in verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. We all know you don't go to a doctor if you're not sick. Well, sorry, I thought about this. I think some people probably do go to the doctor if they're lonely and they want someone to talk to. and The doctor will be very nice and pleasant. But mostly we don't go to the doctor unless we're sick, do we? And it's the same to Jesus. Jesus has not come to call the people who are, who are righteous, who think yeah, they're good and life's good and, and they're, they're okay and there's no problem with them. They don't want help. They don't need help. They refuse help. They're not looking for help. They'd be insulted if you try and help them because we're righteous, we're good. He's come to call sinners. Sinners are the ones who know they're bad, who know they're not good enough, who know they can't save themselves and want help. He's come to call them. And the Pharisees have a problem because the Pharisees are just critical and merciful. They, they know nothing about forgiveness because they're not looking for it. We read in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And Jesus told a parable of a a servant who owed his master such a huge amount of money that he couldn't pay it back. In modern day currency, it was over a million dollars. It was something you just couldn't pay back. In a lifetime, you couldn't pay it back with interest. It would just go on and on and on. He went to his master, he pleaded with his master to to somehow help him with his debt and he's mastered the extraordinary thing of not just forgiving him but cancelling the debt. Didn't sort of work out a payment plan, it's cancelled it. And you just got to go, wow, this is amazing, this is exciting. Can you imagine the relief of having that burden taken off you and just the, the overflowing joy and just celebrating and life is good. And straight away the man goes out, the forgiven servant goes out of his master's presence. He meets another servant who owes him a couple of hundred dollars. And straight away he demands the couple of hundred dollars from this guy. And the guy says, look, I can't pay you this week, but give me a couple of weeks, I'll pay you. And the servant says, the forgiven servant says, no, I want it now. If you can't pay it now, I'm throwing you in prison until you can pay it. And so he gets him thrown into prison. When the master heard about this, which he did, What was his response? He pretty quickly turned things around, took that guy out, threw the other guy in prison and said, you can stay there now until you pay me the million dollars you owe me. Because I forgave you so much and you couldn't forgive a little. And it's the same to us. Jesus was telling us that parable that, that we've been forgiven so much We need to forgive others. We've said the Lord's Prayer today. What does it say about forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God is going to forgive us much more every time we ask. He's going to forgive us a huge amount and other people are only going to just be a little bit compared to the amount that God has to forgive us. And God wants us to appreciate his forgiveness, appreciate his mercy, treasure that and pass that on to others the good thing about being forgiven is you don't have to carry around guilt you don't have to carry around i've failed yes you've failed but i've been lifted up again by god i've been set free from the condemnation we talked about the other week i'm forgiven that is fantastic thank you god and that's why we do confession in our church service. Some churches don't. They, they just want to have all this sort of, you know, happy stuff and don't dampen things by confession. That's, that's poor. But we say, no, no, no. Confession's real. And we just can come and celebrate. We can clear the air with God. And we can celebrate how much he keeps forgiving us because that's real. That's what's happening. And we want to come out, people who are just freed from guilt and enjoying our God who loves us so much he's forgiven us again. It just keeps reminding us of Easter, doesn't it? Of the importance of Jesus coming, the importance of Jesus dying on the cross, the importance he rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death and opening up new life for us with God. I wonder if we need to be like Levi at all. I wonder if we can be people who can you know, look at how can we introduce or bring our friends to come to know Jesus you see we're surrounded by people now Levi knew that he was lost Uh, Paul when he was consoled when he was confronted by Jesus knew he was doing the wrong thing a lot of people going through life uh, they're a bit like Saul they're out there doing stuff and thinking it's they're doing the right thing but they're not how can we quietly and, and gently and carefully help people to see their loss from God Help people to see that they, they're on the wrong road, they need to get change direction, turn around, not following what pleases them, ignoring God, but focusing on Jesus and following him. And how great that is. How can we do that? Do we, do we have Jesus parties? Or do we have to go that far? How can we offer the hand of friendship to people? How can we show people that we're interested in them and, and you know, we, we want to, um, we want to sort of care about them? I think the first thing is, you go to people and say, Hey, you. Hey, you. I want to talk to you about Jesus. Hey, you. I think the first thing is get to know someone's name, isn't it? You know, you don't get in the street and just, and I, there's lots of people around town that you and I probably wave to, say hello to, but don't know their name. So the first thing of having a relationship with someone is to get to know their name and remember their names. So say hello to them. Even if you don't know them, just say hello to them. People who doesn't like to hear their name, send it a friendly, happy way. I mean, if it's said in a rude way, we all react. But if it's said in a friendly way, like hello, and you know him? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Hi. Yeah. So name. And then go beyond name. Why don't we just sort of spend some time talking to people, getting to know them, you know, and just commenting about the rain or, you know, the garden they got or, or whatever. Just starting to find out, get to know people. And not be pushy, not sort of try and do this all in one go, but just over time, get to know people. And then is there a point where, well, there is. Because what's coming up on the Thursday before Easter? Morning Thursday. And who's been, well, if you've been to Morning Thursday, you know it's something different. It's fun. There's a dinner involved. And you do activities that are um, very relevant to help you understand about Easter, but they're not threatening activities. That's a really good social time. And what a great occasion to invite someone along to find out a bit more about Jesus. That'd be a good thing to do. That'd be good to reach out to people around us. All types of people responding to Jesus. And sometimes we can have in our mind, oh, look, you know, that person's too hard, that person's too sitting their ways, or or that person even looks angry or whatever. Sometimes we can prejudge people. I do that too. You can prejudge people. And then you later on find out how wrong you are. I've often seen some people, you know, really angry and stuff. You can't say hello to them. And you get to know them and they're really nice. They just have an angry look on their face. You know what I mean? Maybe they're worried about something, they're real serious and they walk around with an angry looking face and you think, oh, that person's going to bite my head off if I talk to him. But when you talk to them, it's not the case at all. Jesus wants to call all people to follow him. He wants to do that through you and me. And we need to be people who just take that call out gently and carefully and and friendly. Now, what's our first goal of our mission? What is it? Can you read it? Build, Build new friendships, isn't it? That's what we need to be doing, building new friendships, building new friendships like Levi here so that people can come and meet Jesus through us. And not doing a away of forces, but the way it's gentle. And so things like morning, Thursday, even good Friday, Easter weekend is a great time to invite people to come along. But spend some time getting to know people, building a relationship with them. Be genuine about this. We're not trying to get numbers. We're not trying to get statistics. We are not trying to get runs on the board. We want to do it in a way that's sincere. We really have a heart for people who are lost from God, that they might come to know Jesus. And they might enjoy what we do. That yes, we fail, but yes, we're forgiven. And we're freed from guilt. And we can go along with peace and joy and a great life because we follow Jesus.